turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Uh, let's read this, because this has kind of been the basis of this series, and this is our last, our last lesson on it, and we're kind of going to move through the whole passage uh, today in, in two different ways. So let's take a look at it. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, all people and the sanctification or the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it, with tears. And so we're talking about digging up the root of bitterness, and I think that passage gives us a great pattern for doing that. In fact, we said there were th uh, three stages, and I've really looked at it, and uh, it's, it's expanded to four, and here they are. Stage one, acknowledge. Acknowledge that the characteristics of bitterness, you can't deal with what you don't recognize. And so you need to know those characteristics. Lesson one that we looked at. Stage two, avoid the curses. Avoid the curses that bitterness spreads. Another motivation for getting rid of bitterness is seeing the awful consequences of it. We're going to look at stage three and four today, and they are these. Address the contagion of bitterness. Address bitterness and how it spreads in your life and in the lives of others. And, ha and, and part of that is the fourth stage, the ultimate stage, apply the cure for bitterness. So acknowledge it, avoid it, address it when it's there, and then apply the cure. So let's look at it. The first thing I want you to see this morning is we want to address the contagion of bitterness, the contagion of bitterness. You're like, what is a contagion? Well, apparently it's going around quite a bit right now. Is there a lot of people sick right now? Yes. I mean, it's almost mild epidemic proportions. I mean, just a lot of people wiped out. Why? Because there's a contagion. So what's a contagion? First of all, it's a contagious influence. Uh, the rapid spread of a disease by physical contact, okay? So, uh, you know, Gwen subs, and she says, like, the, uh, the, nur the nurse in the school is sending out constant uh, uh, emails and notifications. Play the wash your hands video. Play the wash your hands video. And, and that's, yeah, that's, 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 what it, that's what it does. It spreads. Now, this doesn't mean, listen, this doesn't mean you don't relate to bitter people. It means we take precautions. The same way, uh, you know, just because people are sick, we as pastors and we as, as ministers, uh, as the body of Christ, we still visit people in the hospital. 
but uh, there was someone just too, just recently that I visited that I had never had to do this before. I had to put a mask on. I had to put this this uh, this whole shooting match on. And I'm like, man, are you okay? <laughs> I mean, because because I've never visited. You know, you have to take certain precautions. But hey, you still want to visit. Same thing with bitter people. We want to relate to them. We want to minister to them. But you need to take perca- precautions, knowing that just contact can be contagious. Secondly, a contagion can be referred to a corrupting influence. The rapid spread of a harmful influence. A harmful, corrupting influence that has a tendency to spread. And let me tell you, bitterness has a tendency to spread. We've hit that over and over, but we need to realize you can't just be a bitter person in isolation and bitter people can't help but spread their bitterness. Third, it's a communicable influence. The rapid spread even of a feeling, communicable, is capable of easily being communicated, passed on. And that's what bitterness does. Um, It's the spreading of an attitude or emotion from one person to another. Now, happiness can be a contagion. But so can bitterness. I have a pastor friend who will remain nameless in another church in our, in, in, uh, well, I guess our neighboring state. But anyway, he had a church member that he would always affectionately refer to as Typhoid Mary. Because wherever she went, there were problems that were spread. And, you know, and, and just, you know, you don't want to be Typhoid Mary or Typhoid Harry. So, what are some of those influences and what are some of those attitudes? So, here's what I want to do. Taking the passage in Hebrews 12, I want to show you we need to address the contagion of four influences. So, let's take a look at it. Here's what what bitterness can do. Address the contagion that prevents peace. That prevents peace. By causing trouble in relationships and communities. There's a reason why in Hebrews 12, before he addresses bitterness, in verse 14, the author of Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people. Bitterness is like an unwanted guest that won't leave of their own accord. You've got to forcibly throw out bitterness out of the house of your heart. You've got to say, look, as long as I have bitterness, I don't have peace. As long as I have bitterness, I don't have the peace that comes with forgiveness. So it's got to be dug up. It's got to be rooted out for peace to enter your heart. Deal with that contagion that prevents you from having peace. Number two. It hinders holiness. Address the contagion that hinders holiness by spreading defilement to others. Now, we talked a lot about that last week in the negative sense, but notice again verse 14 in your Bibles. Pursue peace with all men, all people, and and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This is so serious. These are the kind of verses that don't get talked a lot about in churches, talked a lot about in American Christianity. We don't like to exclude anyone. And yet the Lord says, I'm going to exclude anyone from my presence who isn't holy. And so holiness hinders 
uh, hinders us from being in the presence of God and enjoying peace with God, but it also hinders holy, bitterness hinders holiness by spreading defilement to others. You'll never be able to do what God's called you to do, especially love those closest to you, as long as there's bitterness in your heart. We think we're mad at that person out there, but the reality is the bitterness in here hinders me from enjoying God's presence and from actually doing the things that God wants me to do in the lives of the people that are especially most important to me. More more importantly, though, bitterness creates a wall of separation between us and God. He simply doesn't overlook or ignore bitterness in our hearts. And that's basically what we do. We get mad, we get hurt, We get whatever, and we start dwelling on that, and then we just go about our lives thinking, I don't have to deal with it. I'm okay with God. He doesn't care. But listen, listen to me. We have a great warning or example of this in the life of Cain. We've been looking at Esau, but let's go even farther back to Cain. The Lord comes to us like He did with Cain and warns us and encourages us to repent before we act on this heart sin and infect others, or worse, it can even lead to murder. So to show you this, look at Genesis chapter 4. Turn your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Found this very interesting. Very, you know, the hindering of holiness, how bitterness hinders holiness. First, peace with God, but second, peace with others. So look at Genesis 4, look at verses 3 through 8, and notice what it says. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So the context here is God's God, uh, worshiping God. Okay, so we got the, the, the two sons of Adam and Eve. Abel on his part, br- part uh, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock, flock and, their, and of their fat portions. So he's bringing an animal sacrifice, the best of the best, and Cain is bringing simply something from the ground. No indication of whether it's the first fruits or not. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So what is Cain's response? So Cain became what? Very angry, and his countenance fell. Okay? Probably the the thing as parents and even as spouses, the thing that is so disconcerting is when you see someone's countenance just fall. And you just see, and you and, and the thing is, is wow, what I'm seeing on your face, if that's half of what's going in your heart, man, we're in trouble. Okay, and that's what's going on there. Then the Lord said to Cain, see, the Lord cares about this. The Lord cares about inner anger. He cares about what's going on in our hearts. So then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? He sees it all. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Basically, he's saying, Cain, you're bitter, and you got to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you. Cain told his Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and what? 
and killed him. So listen, letting this stuff go leads and spreads, but the Lord cares about it and comes to us and says, look, repent and it will go well. Don't repent, it will not go well for you. Here's the first sin mentioned in the Bible. Here's the first murder or the first time sin, the word is mentioned in the Bible, and it's the first time, the first murder in the Bible, and I would put forth to you, it's all rooted in one thing and one thing only, and what is it? Bitterness. He was angry. One commentator says this, Jealousy, probably coupled with anger at God, causes him to slay his own brother without pity. The heinous the, the heinousness of this spiteful murder reveals that sin has mastered Cain. I think it's amazing that the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, and the first murder in the Bible is really due to floating bitterness. Who was Cain really mad at? God. And who suffered the consequences? Abel. That happens. That happens. So, bitterness has to be uprooted with repentance, which is the door to holiness before God. Third, address the contagion that falls short of God's grace by not being saved. Address the contagion that falls short of God's grace by not being saved. As we continue to move down through Hebrews 12, look at verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. No one comes short of the grace of God. If we're not careful, we think come short means I have the grace of God and I lost a little bit of it because I'm mad. Well, you know what? That's a sad equation because, you know, we kind of think, well, a little less grace, a little, little trade-off, a little bitterness. That's not too bad as long as I, you know, I still got grace. But that's not what come short means. Come short means to come too late and to miss out and to be left out. Fall short means you could have had it, but you don't have it. That's not something you want, to fall short of grace. If we persist in being a bitter person, then we've fallen short of the grace of God. And I realize that in the context of this passage, it's talking about an, apost uh, an apostate who literally is turning their back totally on Christ and Christianity, leaving the faith. But the danger is still real. If we persist in bitterness, how do we know that we're not self-deceived and not really saved? There's two ways of looking, looking at this, and, and it's not just bitterness. It's really any persistent sin. Whatever, all of, and, and, and let me say this, even the most dedicated Christian goes through periods of persistent sin. But when we have any habitual or persistent sin, and we are believers, professors in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got two ways of looking at that. So let's, let's look at this. The two ways of looking at this, I may be bitter, but at least I'm saved. I may be, and you could plug in any sin there. I mean, any habitual, persistent sin. Well, I may be bitter, but at least I'm saved. But there's a second way of looking at this. I am saved. I have placed my faith in Christ. My holiness is a gift from God. It's performed and achieved and granted to me in Christ. It's not based on what I have done. It's what Christ has done. But now in Christ, I am saved. I am holy. 
Therefore, I cannot and will not remain bitter. Do you see the difference in that? See, one way says, hey, I'm going to just kind of lay in my sin, stay in my sin, and then kind of bank on the fact that I have eternal security. Well, you very well may, but you're abusing it. The other one has the perspective, hey, not only am I secure in my salvation, but I stand in Christ's righteousness. Therefore, I cannot and I will not remain bitter or addicted to porn or a a, a you know a, a a drive-by habitual gossip I, you know whatever it is see there's only one option for the true believer presented in the bible repent repent of your bitterness and replace it with forgiveness that's the only option and you could plug that in with whatever else repent of your moral impurity and replace it with a pure life that is above reproach. I, it doesn't matter. The point is, we don't stay in our sins. So the question becomes, and we talked about this last week, was Esau saved in the Old Testament? Is is is? I mean, because he goes down right after falling short. Let there be no root of bitterness, and then he goes to sixteen. No immoral or god godless person like Esau. Or in the Book of Acts, we saw Simon the sorcerer had a heart of bitterness that Paul confronted. And so the question becomes, for many people, well, are these guys saved or not? Well, here's my answer to that is, I think the, the, when you look at the course of Scripture, these guys are not saved. But here's the bigger question. Ultimately, they have to answer to the Lord. The bigger question is, am I saved? And how does my approach to bitterness Reflect that. What are people going to say to me after say about me after I'm gone? Are people going to be asking about me like they ask about Esau and like they ask about? Well, I think the, enough good stuff outweighs my bitterness. Oh, that's that's bad. That's bad. No, you want a testimony of you know what? I remained soft and tender before the Lord, and I granted forgiveness, and I was forgiving in my attitude and outlook. So here's the fourth contagion. Address the contagion that waits too long to repent. Don't wait too long to repent and is cursed with being a bitter root that spreads the deadly fruit of bitterness. And that's what we come to now in the remaining part of verse uh, 15. And uh, actually, verse 17, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. This was Esau's problem. This is what this whole passage is warning about. Don't wait too long to repent of bitterness. The longer you wait, what happens? The deeper the root grows in your heart. The longer you wait, what happens? the further its deadly influence spreads. The longer you wait, what happens? The closer you come to the point of no return. Now, the weird thing about Esau, it appears that in due course, Esau came to realize he had made a, a mistake. And he wanted to go back, but found he could not. And some take the second part of this verse to mean that he, that he, that he, uh, that he could not change Isaac's mind. In other words... He, he regretted the fact that when he went back to his dad and said, Hey, I realize I sold my birthright, but I want, you to, I want to make this right. I want it back. 
And Isaac said, well, I'm sorry you can't have it back. That this is what he, this is what he was tearful about. This is what he was crying about. But I think the reality is he realized there wasn't any way to change what had happened. There's a finality about what we do. As one man points out, if a young man loses his purity or a girl her virginity, nothing can ever bring it back. The choice was made and the choice stands. Now, the reality is we can always have forgiveness and the Lord can bring us to a state of of that. But I think the issue with Esau was he was tearful over what he missed out on. He wasn't tearful over his godlessness. He wasn't repenting of his immorality. So, hey, I'm missing out on the blessing. I'm very upset about that, and I wish I could change that. Can't you change that? Well, no, we can't change that. It's permanent. But what you can change is you can repent of your own sin and your own outlook that led you into that mess. What's that point of no return? It's much sooner than you think, and it's more absolute than you desire. It's much sooner than you think, and it's more absolute. This is the lesson that we need to learn. You say, well, I can always deal with this later. No, you cannot always deal with things later. There comes a point of no return, and it comes sooner than what you think, and it's more permanent than what you desire. All right, so that's why we need to deal with it. Now, let's apply the cure. So let's take a look at it for our time remaining. Let's apply the cure for bitterness. And I'm going to give you a general plan based on these verses. It's kind of the reverse of what we just looked at. I'm going to give you a general plan, and then we're going to look at a broader plan that's based on biblical theology. Let's take a look at the the general plan. Number one, here's how you cure bitterness. Number one, make every effort to pursue peace with other people. Make every effort. Give it all you got. You're going to have to give it all you got. It's a deep root, and you got to put effort into it. This verse uh, 14 where it says, Pursue peace. I like the New Living Translation. Work at living in peace with everyone. Man, that's never been harder work than before. Would you agree? I mean, it's crazy out there. It's just crazy. You're just like, man, I just want it, I want it to all go away. Guess what? It's not going away. And it's only going to get darker. It's only going to get more divisive. It's only going to get more difficult. And so here's what we've got to do. Make every effort to pursue peace with others. Okay, let me give you just a very small example of this. On Facebook, I interact with people uh, wanting to be a witness and, and wanting to, to you know point people to the truth. Well, I have some unsafe friends that I do that with. And this one lady is a dear friend that we've met uh, through, uh, through school. And uh, she's a great lady, but polar opposite, all right? And, and, and just, anyway, I won't go into it. So we'll, we'll go back and forth a little bit. And uh, always, I'm always prayerful and seeking to do it in the best way. So we had parent-teachers uh, conferences this past week, which is, is kind of, we ran into one other senior, a parent of a senior, and they said, the guy's like, I, I, I love this guy, he's a band parent. He goes, why, why are we here? Isn't this kind of meaningless? 
And then he said, uh, he said, well, I guess it's like a victory tour. And I said, yeah, that is, that is. There, you know, so we had our victory tour. So anyway, I had bought a shirt uh, for nostalgia's sake, I guess, that it was cheap. And I had left it in one of the rooms. So I went running back because I was sure some Northtown kid was going to steal it. So I'm running around trying to find this shirt that I had left. And I stuck my head in one room, and here was our friend, this lady. And I just waved to her and ran out of the room looking for my shirt. Well, I want to make every effort to pursue peace. So in my mind is, okay, this week I need to message that gal and say, hey, I'm sorry, because usually we just chat it up. I'm sorry I didn't talk. I had lost my shirt. I don't want her to think in any... I lost my... Yeah, whatever. I lost my shirt. So uh, I don't want her to think that this in- engagement you know, on social media is in any way affecting, right? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Because that's how that stuff starts. There's just, you, and when there is a distance, you've got to work to overcome it. You've got to make every effort. Not every effort pays off. Not every effort pans out. But you, as we're going to see, pursue peace with all people as much as it depends on you. Make every effort. That's just a small thing. Now, I'm not bitter. I don't think she's bitter. But I don't want the. I, I don't want that to be there. Amen. Are you with me? All right. So three things. Enjoying peace is the fruit of God's spirit. Enjoying peace. Listen. No one can rob you of your peace. That is a gift from God through the Spirit of God. God enables us to be more than not bitter, but to be at peace. So, you know, I think we've mentioned before, a lot of people say, I'm not bitter, but you know what? I can't say whether you are or not, but you sure don't seem to be a person at peace. And there's something better than not being bitter. It's being at peace. Secondly, making peace is a characteristic of God's children. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Listen, if you have peace with God, you should enjoy peace with God. And then third, pursuing peace is a responsibility of God's people. Pursuing peace is a responsibility of God's people. Let's let's look at these verses in our Bibles. Look at Romans 12. Romans 12.18. 12.18. What a great verse. What a great reminder. We can't control other people. We can't control whether other people want to reconcile. We can't control whether other people ask for forgiveness. We can't control whether other people grant us forgiveness when we ask. But this we can control. Romans 12.18. If possible... So far as it depends on you, what? Be at peace with all people. As much as it depends on you. This is our responsibility as God's people. Now go over to Romans 14, 19 through 20. Romans 14, 19 through 20. Okay, Romans 14, 19. So then, there it is again. Pursue the things. Make every effort. Work at this. Get after it. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So, the point is, hey, let's build up. 
let's pursue peace. This is the, the, our responsibility. Pursuing peace is hard work, and it's easy to give up. I'm telling you, it's easy to give up. In fact, it's easy to give even more bitter as you pursue peace and others do not respond or get meaner. Now, that's when the real test comes. Okay, I'm going to pursue peace. You go to a lesson like this. You make an appointment this week. You reach out to someone and they, they want nothing to do with it and they just get meaner and find more fault with you. Wow, now what are you going to do with that? Well, you still got to do it. You still got to reach out. Dig up the root, and here's the, the, the basic principle. Reach out with forgiveness and reconciliation. All you can do is reach out. As much as it depends on you, reach out. Number two, make every effort to pursue holiness with God. Make every effort to pursue holiness with God. Again, this is verse 14 back in Hebrews. See to it. Make every, or I'm sorry, pursue peace with all men, make every effort, work at it, but also the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So, a couple principles off of that. Number one, peace with others is not peace at any price. So, when you go through a lesson like this, and you talk about bitterness, and you talk about reconciliation, one of the first questions is, well, what, do they just get off? Do, I, you know, do we just act like it never happened? I mean, where's the justice? Where's the fairness? Well, here's the deal. Peace with others is not peace at any price. The price tag, though, is this. We must set aside our own sin and selfishness to pursue what is pleasing to God. So here's your focus. Your focus is not so much on pleasing the people who offended you or even the people that you've offended and they won't forgive you. It's not, the focus can't be on pleasing them. The focus has to be on pleasing God. Are you with me? The issue in making peace is not do, you don't have to do whatever the other person requires. You need to do what God requires. Does this, does this help? Secondly, peace with ourselves or others is never a po- possible apart from peace with God. Romans 5. Listen, until you are right with God, you'll never be right with others. But understand this, being right with God leads us to seeking to be right with others. You can't separate them. You cannot separate the two. Number three, what pleases God is a pure heart that's free from bitterness. Again, let's go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. God is so concerned with the state of our heart. The state of our heart. What's going on in there? I want to be a part of it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 30 through 32. Well, in fact, let's jump back up to 26 through 27. Look at chapter 4, 26 through 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Reconcile with people, especially including your spouse, before you guys go to sleep. 
And do not give the devil opportunity. Devil, the devil establishes a beachhead in bitter hearts. Okay, now jump down to verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, bitterness grieves God's indwelling spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And here's what you replace it with. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So here's the principle. Dig up the root. And here's what that means. Set apart. Be set apart from bitterness to tenderness. Be set apart from bitterness to tenderness. That's what God wants. God is looking for a tender heart. Okay? That's what God is looking for. And here's the reality. If you're not tender, then you're hard. And if you're hard, you're going to get harder. Okay? And God can enable that. That's all I can say. He enables us to have a tender, tender heart. It's a gift from Him. Number three, make every effort to pursue grace in the process. Okay, this is where you need it. Are you ready for that? Because what we're asking, listen, what God wants is something that only God can do. And here's the good news. He'll do it. He will do it. And He gives us the grace. So let's look at verse 15. Go back to Hebrews. And I just, you know, again, probably whenever we see the grace of God in the Scriptures, we ought to just kind of stop and say, God, help me not overlook this. God, I don't have really... You know, my understanding of this is about this deep, and I need it to be about this deep. Help me understand it. We can glance over this, but here's what I want you to see in this. When it comes to the grace of God and the process of forgiveness, uprooting bitterness is a sovereign work of God. It's a sovereign work of God. And what do I mean by that? Does that mean I don't have anything to do? No, it means i got to run to Him, because it's something only He can do. Amen? <laughs> Three things I want you to think about. We have a triune God, and it's a sovereign work of Him. So that means, one, I need to be in right relationship with God. Am I born again? And if I'm born again, am I yielded and repentant and tender before God? Right relationship with God. Number two, the cross of Christ. You'll never make it through bitterness and make it over to forgiveness and tenderness without running to the cross. Because whatever's been done to you, it's been done to Him a hundred times more. Are you with me? Whatever has been done to us. See, I can't relate to your hurt and your, your anger, and guess what? You can't relate to mine. And I've been around, and you've probably lived long enough too, where you look at some people and you're like, and you're bitter about that? I'll tell you what to be bitter about, right? Okay? And you probably have shared your hurt with other people, and they just look at you like, get over it. You know, I did. Let me tell you. And then they tell you about that, you know, and, and that's how it happens. And listen, as long as that's the path you're going down, 
It's hopeless and you're helpless. But when you run to the cross, you've got someone that understands because he's been there. And he's been there worse and he doesn't one-up you with it. He says, I have already taken it on myself. In fact, my burden is your bitterness. But the good news is he rose from the dead. And on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They do, not, they do not know what they are doing. Now, if I was there, I could identify with the dude. Was it on his left or right? I don't know. The guy that's cussing and, and, and you know, Jesus is up there with a tender, forgiving heart. You've got to run to the cross. You've got to run to the cross. And then third, the leading of the Spirit. The leading of the Spirit. The conviction of the Spirit. The transformation of the Spirit. This is a sovereign work of God. Don't fall short of God's grace through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Number two, uprooting, uprooting bitterness is a spiritual work of God. It is a spiritual work that we are involved in. And the three resources I want to hit on is prayer, the Word, and the community and fellowship of believers, especially small groups. So I'll put a plug again in for our grow groups, understanding that our grow groups are centered around God's Word. They're centered around prayer. And I can tell you the number one way I have dealt with the bitterness and, and, and crossed over to forgiveness and tenderness and maintaining that, working to maintaining that, has been through those three processes. Now, some of you should be saying, yeah, because I've experienced that. And if you haven't experienced it, you, you have the opportunity. There's a group for you. Third, uprooting bitterness is a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work. And by that, I mean, like all things in the Christian life, it's by grace through faith. You've just got to trust God. It comes down to, you know what, Lord? I'm going to step out in obedience. Man, there's been times... When I had to humble myself before proud people that I didn't want to humble myself before, that I knew probably wasn't going to go well, well, all I did was I, I, I memorized, this is my go-to verse when I'm in those positions, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And I'll repeat that over, over, and over, and say, Lord, my faith is in that, and that motivates me to humble myself, knowing that God resists the but gives grace to the humble. And those are the verses. And you're like, and then your mind goes, yeah, but this is going to happen. Well, that's not what I'm going to concentrate on. Yes, in all likelihood, that is going to happen. But if I focus on that, I retreat and I remain stuck in my bitterness. But if I concentrate and realize this is a supernatural work by faith through grace, I'm going to move forward. So number, uh, the third general principle for dig up the root is you got to look up. You got to look up, reach out, set apart, look up to Christ, our only hope in time of need. And then fourthly, make every effort to pursue repentance before it's too late. Pursue repentance before it's too late. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of life. And here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to think through. If God's changed my heart, 
in salvation, then He's given me the resources and the ability to be a forgiving person. And replacement is a replacement process. So here's what we've seen. So you repent. Repent of the bitterness. But in Christ, you've got to replace that with forgiveness. Yeah, replace it with tenderness. Replace it with acts of kindness. Those are the kind of things that Ephesians 4 says that you're going to... And all of this is a gift of God's grace. Amen? Right? There's the process. So here's the principle. Dig up the root. Turn back. Turn back before it's too late. Turn back before it's too late. Now, let me give you a general plan with biblical theology. We're not gonna, I'm not going to teach this to you. I'm just letting you see that, hey, I just gave you steps. And you may think, hey, you know what? If I'll just take these steps home, work my way through these steps, everything will be fine. And that's not the case. The, I'll, I'll tell you in my own experience and, and in counseling and working with people over decades now, it's a process, and it can be a long process. And as I've told, shared with you numerous other times, you can de- on the surface, you can deal with all these things, and then all of a sudden, out of your heart. I mean, I'll just wake up. I, now, it's always a danger when you confess things. You're like, because everybody just looks, a few people nod. They just kind of look at you like, oh, pity you. But... Uh, I don't think I'm the only person that can wake up and all of a sudden go through a week and realize, I've been angry all week. Well, Kim and I, Kirk. Kirk, you get angry? (laughs) I'm looking at Dana. I'm not. Okay, okay. It's the quiet ones you got to watch out for. And so you wake up and you're just like, you know what? I've just been angry. And then when you recognize you have been angry and you start looking at it and you're like, ooh, I'm really angry. And if you're like me, sometimes I haven't, because basically I've already done this. So where's this coming from? And that's where you go to the Lord in prayer. That's where you get into the Word of God. And that's where you confess that to a group of godly, mature people and in prayer. And all I can tell you is God takes it away. Now, maybe he'll, he'll say, hey, you need to go to this person. But usually I've already searched my heart. I've already, okay, no, I've already done that. I've already done this, everything. I thought I released that. And sometimes it's just God. So this is a process. So what I've given to you, this would be long-term processing. Release it to God, rest in Christ, rely on the Spirit. But how do you do it? Look at the square that says realize over on the left. That's the, that's the first point. And then you got ten, ten processes. Realize how decept, deceptive and deadly bitterness is. Secondly, recognize the bitter fruit, the bitter root and deadly fruit in yourself. So this is kind of the process the course has ta- these series is taking you. Repent of it as a sin with confession and commitment. So I, I'm repenting, I'm turning, I'm turning away and I'm, I want to turn to these things. 
Then, release the pain and the problem and the people and the problem people and the painful people to Christ, real or perceived. I'm just, I'm releasing this to you, Lord. Because you're big enough to handle it. It's their responsibility. They are your responsibility, not mine. I don't have to be a prisoner. I'm, set, I'm, I'm setting them free to be judged by you. You say, well, they're getting off free. No, they're not. You're putting them in their hands in, into the hands of a just yet merciful judge. As Chuck Lynch, counselor, says, I, I, I'm not comfortable with the terminology he is, put them in the Jesus jail. Okay? Put them in the Jesus jail. But the point's the same. The point is, look, you're not getting free. I'm turning you over to the just judge. He'll deal with you. Renew your mind with specific passages of Scripture. You've given This series has given you more than enough. Replace with kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness by the Holy Spirit. Start concentrating and acting out on these things, especially acts of kindness. Relate in love with mercy by the grace of God in Christ. In other words, take that Ephesians 4 passage and do this. Just as God in Christ has forgiven me, I'm going to forgive others. Just as God in Christ has loved me, I'm going to love others. Just as God in Christ has been merciful to me, I'm going to be merciful to others. Eight, reconcile as much as it depends on you in keeping with holiness. Don't do anything unholy to reconcile. As much as it depends on you. One of the things that I went through in my own life and I saw it and valid, it's validated in the book of Job is that people will often try to get you to ask forgiveness and confess sins that you haven't done in order to reconcile. And you just can't go there. You can't go there. Because number one, if you do, it, it will never be enough. That's number one. Well, okay. Do <laughs> Hey, this is, I mean, this is real stuff. Yeah, Joe, I get it. So, you don't ever, you know, because they wanted Job to confess sin and make them feel more comfortable. And Job said, I can't do that. I've got a clean heart. Now, he had other issues, like we all do. But it wasn't the issues that people were pointing out. Nine, rebuild what has been neglected, rejected, or attacked. See, here's the, here's, the, here's the danger. In bitterness, we start getting, we, we start focusing on all the things that do nothing. You know, I mean, I don't know what those things are, Joe. I don't know what your boss is doing. It doesn't matter. We all have, a, you start, you start, you're, you're, you're distracted and you're defeated versus what you want to do is start rebuilding these areas. Because I guarantee you, if you and I have been bitter for any length of time, we've started offending people. So go back and work on the things, rebuild those things that, that have fallen down. All right. And then number 10, repeat the process as often as needed. So, you know, what's the shampoo thing? Help me. Lather, rinse, repeat. It's been a while since I've washed, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Lather, rinse, repeat. Well, guess what? Repeat this thing. Because here's the thing. Realize that bitterness is deceptive. So what happens is, oh, I went through that process. Oh, wait a minute. I got more to deal with. 
oh, I'm a, I'm a defeated Christian. No, you're a normal Christian, okay? You've got to pursue sanctif- sanctification for the rest of our lives until we're finally glorified. So, here we go. Time to respond. Start digging up that root. Number two things, and we'll end with this. Examine our own hearts for seeds, for roots, for sprouts, and fruits. Make every effort. Give it your all. You've got to dig up that bitter root. Two, encourage the hearts of others. Look after each other. See that no one becomes a bitter fruit. Listen, there's a blessed life. David lived it. Moses lived it. Every one of God's true believers have lived on the other side of this. You can live that blessed life too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know we're not talking about anything that is academic. We're not talking about something that's abstract. We're talking about real issues that we all struggle with. But I'm so glad there's a cure and that the contagion can be contained. And more than that, it can be healed and it can be prevented. And when we do get infected, we can be radically changed by your grace. So, Father, let us pray for one another. Let us encourage one another. And let us not take lightly and come short of the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus, who drank the bitter cup and has forgiven all our sins so that we can grant that same forgiveness, that same tenderness, and that same kindness to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be kind and tenderhearted.